are now open, so call 503-967-3001. Hebrew Nation, His Kingdom, His People, and Your Radio Station. Good morning. You are now listening to the Wednesday morning program with uh, Miriam Stallsworth, and I'm Dr. Deborah Wiley Gold, and I'm so excited to be here today. It's a beautiful, lovely day in Oklahoma. I was outside earlier this morning and listening to the birds sing, and it's beautiful and sunny and just a a beautiful day. And so we are excited uh, for our guest today, aren't we, Miriam? How are you doing today, Miriam? I am doing awesome. I am doing absolutely awesome. Like you said, here in Oklahoma, it's a beautiful day, and the birds are singing, and sometimes we go out for a walk, and we say, wow, we are so blessed that we are in where we're at in Oklahoma. Things are looking up here. And there's no whiner. I am not a whiner. I am so uh, enthused and thrilled to be living at this time and uh, so blessed to be here today, Deborah. Yeah, I know. I know. It's such a, it, you know, even mentioning what you just mentioned about it, to be alive at this particular time. This can be, you know, the best of times and the worst of times all rolled into one. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're looking yes. at some things happening that I never imagined in my lifetime. Um, and, yes. and so I, we're super excited about our guest today. Um, we have a very special yes. guest today, Dr. Dina Dye. Um, not only is she a, she's number one on the Messianic uh, uh, author page of Amazon and with a brand new audio book, and I'll have, we'll have her talk about that a little bit, but also she has uh, started a on fire prayer group that's swept all over the world and and people are on their knees and on their faces and and you know uh miriam i was thinking about this the other day um wow how timely has that been with what every this was all before the coronavirus all before all this um you know whatever you want to call this <laughs> mess that we've been in uh, all before all of that uh the Lord put it on her heart to um, pray for this nation, to pray against tyranny, to pray. And here we are right in the midst of tyranny. Can you imagine where we would be if we hadn't been praying? Yes, yes. And, and so yeah. praise God, hallelujah, and let us welcome Dr. Yes. Dina Dye. Hi, Dina. Yes. Hi, Dina. Dr. Deb, hi, Miriam. Thanks for having me on the show. I just have to say in response to what you said, you know, I had no idea when On Fire formed. I, I recognized what we were up against in terms of the election, uh, things that were going on in the country, you know, little acts of tyranny here and there. But I had no idea. Really, this was the preparation. On Fire, the purpose of On Fire was to deal with this. Uh, and so, uh, you know, the Lord knew 
Yeah. And I'm glad I was actually, I listened and was faithful and, you know, I put it together. Because, you know, sometimes you hear things from him and you don't act on it. So, right. uh, yeah, for such a time. Yes. Wonderful. That is so great. Well, you know, Deb and I have been so blessed to be a part of that. And I thank weekly everybody who prays with us. But without prayer, we are lost. Without our faith in our great God and creator. And uh, before we start, I wanted to read this on hope. And this is from Eli Wazel, a, a Holocaust survivor and Nobel Peace Prize winner. And, you know, yesterday was the 36th anniversary of the formation and of Ikemar, which, of course, we love so dearly and so much happening in Israel. But he says, I have not lost faith in my God. I have moments of anger and protest. Sometimes I've been closer to him for that reason. And I thought that was a very good quote for today and lot that we're going to be talking about. Right. Yeah, I think we've got to keep us all in perspective. And yeah. as, you know, we talked earlier before we got on, on the show, you know, if you look at history and you follow the path of history and the patterns and cycles, we shouldn't be surprised. And so we've got to take a step back, breathe, <laughs> maybe not be on social media every hour of the day, and just try to get some perspective. And I really encourage people to spend more time studying history, because then you're not shocked by what's going on. This is, this is what's happened with mankind since day one. Right, right. Yes, and you know, for so many of us, like, you know, when I was just little and I would go out to my parents and I was born in 46 but you know what there was no I didn't experience the wars I had relatives who had been through the holocaust and they would tell me things but you know we 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 do not we didn't understand a lot of this but there has been so many men and women like you said before that all through history that have had such strength and, and now we're at such a time as this. Well, we do have a generation now that has absolutely no idea about hardship. Correct. So this is a huge problem. Yeah. And have not, you know, I didn't go through anything particularly difficult in my life. You know, we in the 50s, of course, we were hiding under our desks because the Soviets were going to drop a nuclear bomb. Right. But right. <laughs> other than that, you know, Korea, Vietnam, I grew up in Canada. Those things were far from me. And so now, as the time has sped on, people have absolutely no concept of it. And, you know, when this gener this generation, World War II generation, you know, there's not many left of them. No, and no. I think if we don't pick up the mantle and begin to push out into the, into the culture to warn people, and even warning people doesn't change things, you know, even now. There are many people, especially in the state I live in, they have no idea that their liberties are being chopped up. You know, they they just think this is all somehow their response is normal. And that, it, to me, is just frightening. Oh, it is. It is. And we were yes. talking about that before the air. And I, I w uh, we went on the air and I was mentioning, uh, Dina, that, you know, I'd read this uh uh, post from this gentleman that was saying, you know, when he studied world history and and he was studying about the Holocaust when he was a young man, he, he was saying, you know, I often wondered why 
you know, six million people, how did you lead six million people to slaughter and nobody fought back? You know, they weren't rising up and taking, you know, taking on some of the guys that were trying to load them in the trains or whatever, you know, and it, it, and I, I remember studying about that as a young girl too. And I would, I would think, yeah, why did, you know, I wonder why, why didn't somebody do something? Why didn't somebody stand up? And yet now, um, as we're watching how compliant everybody's been, as you had mentioned, we're, we're losing our civil rights, we've lo we're losing our constitution, and everybody's just kind of going with the flow, you know. And it and it is frightening. It's 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 time that we, uh, you know, not to be negative. There's always power in in trusting in the Most High, and I was really encouraged, you know, about the on fire prayer team because that really shows us if we're looking that uh, our, our Lord knows what's going on, even before it happens, of course. And so we, we can rest in that, but it really still requires us as his people to stand and do something. Yeah, so here, you know, I, uh, I'm on about 15 different Patriot sites in New Mexico, just uh, trying to follow what's going on, what's the thinking, what are people saying, and the predominant message to me is, why doesn't somebody do something about this? Why doesn't somebody, you know, why doesn't somebody start a rally? Why doesn't somebody, you know, open their business? Why doesn't, why doesn't, why doesn't? And so it is the fact that others are waiting for others <laughs> to start something. So, you know, I think of On Fire Prayer, you know, we started and we did, and we're still doing, and it requires you to stand up and do and stop waiting for somebody else to do it. You know, the Father's given us all gifts and talents, you know. That includes, uh, you know, pushing back in, in, you know, against the culture in this and against what's happening. You, you need to do it. You know, just stop sitting there and complaining and, you know, somebody else lead the charge and then I'll follow. No, you need to, to lead the charge and you're wherever you are and you need to do it. I'm really, you know, that stuff really annoys me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it, it, we're going through this, but look at the people that are our age that are involved in the fight, you know, because we've seen, um, we've kind of seen the rebellious, you know, let's start a revolution kind of thing, you know, like in the 60s. And you'd mentioned yeah. uh, that that's actually when we began to lose um, some of our freedoms. Yeah, there's no question that, you know, that um, you, you go back probably to the beatniks in San Francisco and sort of the early, you know, hippie movement, which was pretty, you know, we had the students for uh, democratic, uh, what are they called? Students, I don't even remember what they're called, underground. Anyways, the, there was a pushback against the government, and that really was the birth of the hippie movement. And uh, there's a well, I don't want to get into some of the stuff that went on, but that's the seed, the seed of rebellion that was planted against quote unquote authority. And I'm of the age I got caught up into the whole thing and didn't recognize the, the blessing of order and structure, you know, in society. And that, you know, the, those that are, were running, that had positions of power and were operating, you know, typically were dealing with corruption. 
the I think the leaders of the of the movement in the sixties used the rest of the culture um, and brought them along, and and then we just you know it was a firestorm, and and those same people who were the leaders in the sixties were serving in government uh, in the Obama administration in high, you know, high up positions in the Obama. That same spirit has been dragging this country down for 40, 50, 60 years. Yeah, so so the point you were making is this hasn't been an overnight thing. It's kind of like the frog in the pot that uh, you turn the water on. Yes, yeah, slowly, yes. Yeah. Well, it started, I think, with, uh, you know, culture always leads politics. And so, the, you know, certainly in the 60s, you know, the flower power, hippie thing, and, you know, free love, and the drugs, and, you know, it was the, it was the drip, drip, drip breakdown of morality and ethics that has been has gone on for all these years and so we shouldn't be surprised that here we are because i would just say as the church married itself to the culture and you couldn't tell the difference between the two you know one looked just like the other so that we get to a point where in which you know homosexual marriage is endorsed where we can you know continue to abort millions of babies every year uh, where trans gender dysphoria, you know, is the law of the land and, and PC language. That's just the end of what started way back. And when you marry yourself to the culture, you can't tell what's going on. Hmm. That's, a, that's a really good point, you know, because there hasn't been um, a real line drawn in the sand it, until actually... Uh, President Trump got into office realistically, and then all of a sudden it's kind of black and white here, and uh, there's no, it's it's not a gray. There's really no room for a gray area anymore. No, I think the one thing you can say about this virus is it has made you know everything crystal clear. Who is authoritarian? Who are the tyrants? Who are those? in favor of liberating the people. And I would just say, through all of this, the only way you can tell what truth is, is by, you know, the Bible is the only place where you can go to actually understand what you're dealing with and where the truth lies. And so, you know, Western culture was built on Judeo-Christian values, but as the culture began to throw that to the wind, uh, you know, and the secular humanism rose up, and all the fruit that that is born, people cannot tell where the truth is. And so, again, this requires a restoration of those values and a return to God and, and a church that's on fire for him and moves itself out of the culture to, to teach and to educate and to lead the way for the rest of the culture. Amen. Yes, I totally, I totally agree. You know, when you see things and you see that there are people in the churches or whatever congregations and they're trying to do things to get people in and have it be as much like the world to attract people and have them come in. And now this year that was all kaput because uh, they couldn't do that at their celebrations. They could do it online or whatever. 
but uh, it's just it's just so evident what is slowly happening. What happened in the schools? I know myself being in the school system, and so many of you also know uh, Deb working with young people and that, and the defiance and the lack of respect for teachers, the lack of respect. You know, there's such a balance, a fine line for us having respect for our teachers. But then there's also respect, even like in the government, when you see how some are treated and somebody accused of something that is totally false, loses their home, loses their job, and oh well, it's just like it's a number. This is very, very sad, very sad. Well, I would say none of this justifies shedding our civil rights. Uh, we have now given the virus more civil rights than the American people. And uh, this virus has basically, you know, I don't want to say destroyed, but it has infringed upon the Constitution. And I, I'm at the point now, so I, let me just share for a couple of minutes uh, Early on, back in, I'm going to say mid-January, I've been listening to a program called War Room. It was called War Room Impeachment with Stephen uh, Bannon and Jason Miller and Raheem Kassam. And they were kind of ahead of what was going on. Well, they quickly shifted into what they called War Room Pandemic because Steve Bannon is closely tied to things going on in China, and they saw what was, what was happening, and then they began to talk about that. So I was following and listening trying to pay attention. There was another guy named Chris Martinson from Peak Prosperity who was also reporting on it. So, I mean, what do I know of a pandemic? So I'm, I'm following and listening and, you know, I, and then I'm understanding, and this is, I'm going to say early February, the idea was, yes, you've got to flatten the curve, um, but the point of flattening the curve was not to save lives. The point of flattening the curve was to save the hospitals. Because right. the idea was we were going to have millions and it was going to be overcrowded. We weren't going to be able to take care of them. And we got Italy and we got Spain and, and, and blah, blah, blah. But that flattened the curve turned into this is how we save lives. And this is what our governor continues to advocate. And this is false. It's a false argument. So the, we now, in the beginning, we did not have numbers. Thanks to China, we didn't have data. We didn't know what we were dealing with. We didn't even have... we. We didn't have good data from from Italy because that was just, you know, meltdown city. And we didn't really have good data from some of the Asian countries, Korea, Taiwan, and Hong Kong, because they were able to get on it early with their testing, uh, you know, because they had been through the SARS thing. So we were flying blind early on. And then, of course, our CDC totally failed in the, uh, the testing department. But what... As this went on, the numbers just didn't bear out the panic. And that is where we are now. And those two guys that were on recently, uh, the, they've got like 4 million hits. Uh, Dan Erickson and Art Massey. Yes, they uh, took off the YouTube. Yeah, it's gone. You can't even see it now. I think they had well over. They finally, I mean, two medical doctors that made sense. Right. So, uh, yeah. The, the numbers of death, and, and let me just preface this by saying, I can't even imagine being in New York. I can't imagine, you know, Queen's Hospital there and dealing with that amount of death. We recently had a, uh, I think she was a doctor who committed suicide. She couldn't take it anymore. So 
Yeah. Tragic suffering. You know, I, I, I do not want to discount that in any way, but we got to yeah. put this perspective. So our death rate is anywhere from 0.1 to 0.003, somewhere in there. And, you know, 90% in Spain, 96% California, 98% in other places, people recover. So now, you know, we are no longer dealing with, in my opinion, the, the fruits of a virus. We are dealing with civil rights and the, the complete blow up of the republic over this. And I'm of the opinion, you know, the economy, what the fruit born of the destruction of the economy is far greater than what's been produced by the virus. And I came to that conclusion somewhere, I think, towards early March. So what I want people to understand is in the beginning, I understood and I was following along and, you know, I, you know, who wanted this to sweep across the country? But by, by now, you know, I, my opinion has completely changed. Uh, almost 180 degrees, and I'm of the view, just open the country and get this thing back to work. New Mexico, we're dealing with suicide. There have been more suicides in New Mexico than there have been deaths from, from the virus. We've got 110 deaths, I believe, more suicides, child molestation, drug overdoses. We've let criminals out of prison. Uh, it, it's uh, Armed robbery is our number one issue here in New Mexico. So people have lost their life savings, they're in financial ruin, and in our state, our governor allowed all the big box stores to be open, every single one of them, and closed down 154,000 businesses. The reason she kept the big box stores open is because they gave her money for her campaign. You go into a big box store and there's like hundreds of people. Social distancing, what a joke. And so this level of picking winners and losers, this unfairness of the whole thing, that's what's got me totally riled up. Right. I think, right, I think is the injustice we see, and this is what, or the half-truth, like from the serpent, of the, you know, oh, we're supposed to visit uh, the prisoners and whatever. Oh, my gosh, that was said the other day by one one of our politicians, and we're supposed to let them out. This is, and it is so, it is so absurd how, if we call it the serpent's Torah. I mean, twisting it around or taking things and making it so absurd, and the injustice is absolutely, like you said, there is no equal balances at all. Well, they're actually even letting out child molesters out of prison. Yeah. And then you, then you've got people, you know, that have been imprisoned, like some of Trump's um, people that worked with him, and and they're being imprisoned for for what, you know, and they're not and they're not letting them out, but they'll let child molesters and murderers out, and because of the pandemic, what's, you know, I mean, it's it's boggle, it's mind boggling, Dina, <laughs> it's. You know, uh, I'm not trying to. Have, <laughs> well, I was just going to have a heart-to-heart -heart conversation about leadership, and this is where the church has failed because it is not engaged in the culture. It's not engaged in the republic. It has removed itself. It's MIA, thinking that I mean, I have neighbors that don't vote. 
my, I'm just uh, beside myself. We have a responsibility to the least among us and the most vulnerable to have good leadership in office to, to make policy to protect them. And we have failed. And I think maybe on the other side of our break, you know, we can talk about that in more detail. I'll go back, you know, historically, we'll talk about Talk about the principles. Perfect, perfect timing. Uh,